Scripture reading this morning is once again taken from the last portion of Galatians chapter 6. And let's read this together from the board aloud. See what with large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, once again, we come before you looking at this very important passage that sums up the entire book that we have been studying. Father, as we are reminded of these principles, renew us again to a further commitment to live by them, to believe them, to see their beauty, to know their worth, and to walk in them as according to your word that we will see that there is a beauty to holiness, there is a beauty to righteousness. And one of the greatest lies that our enemy has sold us is that the only way we can be happy is to not be holy. That holiness is not for our joy. But Lord, the greatest joy comes from being holy as you are holy. And so Father, may we have a zeal, a holy zeal for holiness, not only in our personal lives, but in this church, that we may reflect you for when Christ is lifted up, he draws all men to himself. And so, Father, open our hearts and minds to this passage this morning. Open our ears to hear, hearts to have a will to obey, minds to understand, eyes to see the glory and beauty of it. Lord, move me aside and work through my weaknesses so that your people will hear your spirit through your word and be more like your son to your eternal glory. Father, it is all this that we ask in your son's most precious name, the name above all names, the name for which is the reason we are here and the only way that we can know you. Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Man, you may be seated. You may remember uh, just some things from last week. Uh, I knew that I was not going to get through everything that we talked about that is in the text this week, and uh, I knew that would not happen last week. And so we decided to uh, to stretch it out for a couple weeks, so that way uh, it wouldn't be too terribly long. But you may recall that, uh, that the Holy Spirit, knowing the future, knowing all things that are to come to pass, knew that we, you and I, and even the early church for that matter, would not have access to Paul's actual handwritten document. 
And uh, we don't know where that is. It is lost in history. We have, we have thousands of faithful copies. But the Holy Spirit, knowing that that was going to be the case and knowing that we would not be able to see Paul's own penmanship, inspired him to make mention of the fact that he is writing this passage in very large letters. It's kind of a, it's kind of a marquee. Pay attention. This is important. This is important. This is important. If you get nothing else from the study of Galatians that we have been in for the last uh, year now, then uh, if you get nothing else, then know these things. And you may recall that there were four takeaways that Paul is giving us in this text that uh, he wants us to remember. And just to review the first two this morning, I'm not gonna preach them again, but just to review, review the, cup, the first two, you may recall that the idea here is that we must remain, maintain our faithfulness. We must remain in faithfulness to the gospel. If we lose that, then we cease to become a church. If we lose that, that is actually a symptom of a false profession. If we walk away from the gospel, if we walk away from preaching and teaching the gospel, then that is something that disqualifies us from being a church. Of all the marks of the church that the church has recognized down through the centuries, the most important mark is that we must remain true to the gospel. And oh, beloved, how many churches have not done this? have not down through the years remained faithful. Praise God for churches like, for instance, uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, Spurgeon's old church that was faithfully preaching the gospel hundreds of years before even Spurgeon got there. Today, it's nearly a 500-year-old church and they are still faithfully preaching the evangelical gospel. Praise God for churches like that. But they are few and far between. The fact of the matter is, is that it is so easy to step aside from the gospel and get lost in side issues. Things like, things like politics, for example, things like, uh, moral issues of our day. We preach those things, yes, but we must preach them in the context of the gospel. That the gospel is our driving force. The gospel is what we do. That's why I don't endorse candidates from the pulpit. That's why I don't do things like that because my purpose here behind this sacred desk is to remain faithful to the gospel and preach the gospel that Paul preached. And so I certainly have my opinions, but you're not here to hear my opinions, are you? No, you're not. You're here to hear the word of God. We do not want to have our ears tickled. We do not want to hear the wisdom of man. And so, so these four takeaways, how do we remain faithful in the gospel? It is these four takeaways that he gives us. And that is, number one, we must practice wise discernment. We saw that last week. So again, I'm not going to preach it again, but we must practice wise discernment. There are many, many teachers out there who would love to scratch your tickling ears. They would love to tell you what you want to hear. They would love to tell you all sorts of things. We can't do that. We must practice wise discernment. I love how Tim Keller puts it. He says, if you're worshiping a God who never disagrees with you, then chances are you're worshiping an idealized version of yourself. 
And so we don't want to do that. We want to, we, we want a God who disagrees with us. We want a God who challenges us. We want a God who convicts us because a God that we can figure out is a God that we've made up. So we don't want that. We want to serve the true God. Number two, there must be confidence in Christ alone. Our confidence is not in the fact that we are good citizens, not in the fact that we make good grades. It's not in the fact that we come from good family. It's not even in the fact that we attend Calvary Baptist Church, which, which praise God, I, I, we, are, we are a Bible teaching church here, but, but our confidence is in Christ alone. It is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, that we come to salvation. That it, to the glory of God alone, on the authority of Scripture alone. That, that is what we stand on in this church. That is what we preach in this church. And so our confidence is in none other than Christ alone. God forbid, may it never be that I would boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't boast in any goodness that I think I may have, though I'm prone to do so. I don't boast in anything else but the cross of Jesus Christ. And so confidence in Christ alone, wise discernment. And that really brings us to the third takeaway that we find here in the passage in verse 16. So looking at verse 16, he says that as for all those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And so we have confidence in Christ alone, but to Christ alone, we must have a gospel response. I want you to understand that God does not save anyone apart from faith. God does not save anyone apart from repentance. I want you to understand, I fully believe in the sovereignty of God, but I also believe that we are responsible to a, to a, a commitment, to a response, a faith response to the gospel, and we must respond to him personally. It is not a group response. It is not a family response. It must be a personal faith response, repentance and faith in Christ alone that brings us to the gospel. You say, well, Randy, those things logically contradict. Well, not in the mind of God, they don't. You know, my, my dog wonders why in the world I, I sit around staring at this paper that he loves to chew on. Me and my dog both, both love the newspaper, but he loves to rip it up into shreds and make me get out the vacuum. I love to read it. He will never understand why I just stare at this newsletter, but that doesn't make it illogical right? Because hopefully my intellect's a little better than my dog's. And guys, God's wisdom is so far above ours. I'm glad we have a God we can't figure out. I'm glad we have a God in which there is tension because a God we can figure out is a God we've made up. And I don't, I don't want that God. I don't want that God. And so we must have a gospel response. Where do I get that from? Well, look what he says. He says, and for as for those who walk by this rule. Let's, let's stop right there for a minute and talk about this rule. What is this talking about? It's actually the word, if you've studied theology, this is actually the word canon. 
And if you're familiar with the word canon, you mean, uh, we, we apply it to the Bible. How do we know what books of the Bible belong in the Bible? How do we know what Bible, what books are the ones that God actually inspired? For example, why don't we use, why don't we have the book of 1 Maccabees and 2 Maccabees or the, the book of Baruch or uh, Bell and the Dragon, I think it's called. Why don't we have those books in our Bible? Because they are not the canon. They are not authoritative. And what the word means is a measuring rod. This is the standard. This is the rule that God has given us. And that's actually a very important topic because you as a Christian need to know what books of the Bible you are accountable to. You're not accountable to the book of 1 Maccabees. You are accountable to the gospel of John. There's a big difference there. And so, and so, but I could, and that's kind of a soapbox. So let's get back on this. What that word canon, what it means is a rule or a measurement by which something is measured by. And so what rule is he talking about? Well, I don't think we have to go very far. Look back at verse 15. He says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation but a new creation. I want you to notice right there, you have that tension, a new creation and those who walk according to this rule. You have that tension right there, right? It's all over the place. And so what is he talking about? He's talking about this rule, this standard that outward conformity to a law does not account for anything in the salvation that is offered by Jesus Christ. Whether it be outward signs, mere external obedience, traditions, these are all nothing. And they account for nothing before God for our salvation. All that matters is that we are made a new creation. In fact, you may recall First, uh, first Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's all that matters. When, when we get up before the Lord, you may remember that many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, I did this. I did that. Do, do, do. Christ says, no, 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 no. I never knew you. You were not a new creation. And try as we will, turn over as many leaves as we can, cut up as many credit cards as we can. We cannot make ourselves a new creation. And when Paul says that it goes who walk according to this rule, that's what he's talking about. That our confidence is not in the things we do. Our confidence for salvation is not in the practices we have. Our, our confidence in salvation is not for the outward signs, as important as they are. But our confidence is in the fact that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That is our only confidence before God. The theological term for this is regeneration. We are a new creation. It's the act of God in which the Spirit makes us a new creation in Christ. It's, you, you'll, you'll hear words like born again, given new life to God, raised with Christ. In fact, uh, 1 John 5, 1, I don't know if I've got that. Yeah, I do. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That is regeneration. 
That is being brought to life. We don't, we don't need a moral makeover. We need a resurrection. We need to be born again. A dead man can't do anything. Only those who are saved. Only those who are regenerated. And so, raised to walk in newness of life, those others. And Paul says that those who walk according to this truth who place their lives under the authority, who align their lives with this truth, with this principle, they are the recipient of the following blessing. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul is essentially ending his book with this this blessing. Peace be upon them. And so... Those who walk according to this rule, they have peace with God. They have peace with God. These these two terms together, peace and mercy, are essentially the sum total of our salvation. Essentially the sum total. Those who live according to this rule have peace with God. We have a new relationship with God. Look at uh, Colossians 1.21 for a second. If I'm not mistaken, I got on. Yeah, it's there. Just leave that on the board because I want to look at this. Because look what it says. Paul is pointing back to us from the time before we were in Christ. And and look what he says. He says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, there you have the sum total of our depravity before coming to Christ. We were alienated from God. We were separated from him. We We were apart from him. But not only were we separated from him, but we were hostile in mind against him. That word hostile is the same word that's translated enemy. We were enemies of God. We were hostile to him in mind. Our minds were set only on the flesh, only on self. We were against God before coming to Christ. And that was shown by the fact that we did evil deeds. We were separate from God, we were hostile against him, and we were in open rebellion against him with our sin. That's who we were before Christ. We were attacking God, we were denying his word, we were rebelling against him. Romans chapter eight, verse seven says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God. Indeed, it cannot. In other words, that when an every unbeliever, including you and me before Christ, we are at war against God. Beloved, you are not born with a blank slate. You were not born with this idea of, you know, the culture today thinks that everyone is basically good and, and, and it's due to outside influences that causes someone to go bad. No, according to the word of God, we are all bad people who only do good by the grace of God. We sin because we are sinners, not the other way around. So we are, we are, we are, we are, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We were born that way. Everybody talks about, uh, you know, kids reaching their full potential. I'm not sure that I want that. Of course, I know what they're talking about, but beloved, our full potential is open, full rebellion against God. That's who we're born to be. 
That's who we are. And yet God has made peace with us through the cross of Christ. He he looked at our rebellion and he chose to come and save us. He chose to come and live and Jesus Christ came and took upon our flesh and all the weaknesses of it except sin. And he chose to live among us and he chose to suffer all that this world could throw at him. And he chose even to go and bear the wrath of God upon the cross so that you and I could have peace with God. So that we are no longer enemies, but his friends and not just friends, but adopted as his sons and daughters. He chose to make his enemies his children. And we have that new relationship with him. You know, the one who started the hostility is really in no position to make peace, is he? I mean, if... I mean, when Japan attacked us, when, when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, can you imagine them coming back to the United States and saying, uh, we changed our mind. I think we just want peace now. Can you imagine them doing that? What would we have said? No, it doesn't work like that. And there's that famous photo where uh, I believe it was Eisenhower or maybe it was Truman who was who was standing beside the emperor of Japan and he, and he rose so much taller that was such a humiliation to the emperor of Japan. Have you ever seen that photo? You know which one I'm talking about? Because when, when they started the hostilities, they surrender on our terms, not on their terms. And beloved, you are the one, we are the one who sinned against God. And if we will come back to God, we must do so on his terms, not on our terms. Right? And so there must be a gospel response. But the great thing about God is that the one who was offended is the very one who came to bring us mercy. The very one whom we sinned against was the one who came to bring peace. In fact, I, you looked at Colossians 1, 21, verse 22, goes on to say that Christ has now reconciled us by his death in his body of flesh. The verse right above it says that he has made peace by the blood of his cross. This is an amazing truth. We're forgiven of our sin. God has set aside his wrath. We now stand in a new relationship to God. In fact, I just, just kind of came to me, Romans chapter five. Really can't say it much better than this. Romans chapter five, um, verse one says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access, we have, we, have the, we have standing in him all because of Christ. What amazing, amazing truth. Because of that, we are now the people of God. Whereas we were the enemies of God, now we are the people of God. Those who live according to this rule are the people of God. Says peace. Paul says, peace and mercy be upon them and the Israel of God. Now, this verse is hotly debated. 
And uh, I don't really have time to get into the details. The question is, who is the Israel of God? Is, is there a separation here upon us as the church and upon Israel as, as the nation? Is there, you know, what's the, what's the difference here? I don't really have time to get into those details. In fact, I don't think I'm going to have time for my last point this morning. But I, I think without getting into a lot of the details, I think we just want to look at how Paul himself is talking about this. In fact, let's just thumb back through Galatians Look at a couple of things. Look at verse chapter three, verse seven, for example. He says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It is, it is not those who are genetically related to Abraham. It is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham for salvation purposes. Look at verse nine. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In other words, those who receive the blessing of Israel are the ones who have faith in Abraham. Look at verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Who are the children of Abraham? Who are the true children of Abraham? It is those who have the faith of Abraham, not the genetics of Abraham. Verse 29 says it plainly. He says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. When Paul repeatedly says that those who are truly the offspring of Abraham are those who are in Christ, those who live under the truth and the principle of verse 15, that circumcision counts for nothing, uncircumcision counts for nothing, but only a new creation. They are the Israel of God. They are the new Israel. So if we want to remain in faithfulness, we must remain, we must remain true to a gospel response. We must call people to faith and only by grace through faith. This is how we come into his blessing. And a church that loses that message ceases to be a church. We are only a church to the extent that we are faithful to the word. So as we look at that, beloved, the question obviously that we need to ask this morning is what has your response to God been? What is your response to God? Are you trying to come to him on the basis of your own goodness? Are you trying to bargain with him? Are you, are you trusting in uh, the things you've done, your baptism, your, your experiences, your this, your that, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Or are you coming to Christ on the basis of faith alone, in Christ alone? That's the question we need to ask this morning. Beloved, at the end of the day, it only salvation in Christ, only being a child of God, is the only thing that takes us to heaven, the only thing that brings us eternal life through Christ. You know, uh, one of my favorite celebrities, 
He's not a, I don't think he's alive anymore, but one of my favorite celebrities is Don Knotts. I think he's just a great guy. I think he's funny. I just, I just love to watch him. And he is just my absolute most favorite celebrity that's ever lived. And, uh, and you know what? I think he and I would get along really well. And so can you imagine, uh, assuming he's still alive, can you imagine that if I went up to, uh, to Beverly Hills or wherever it is where he has probably what is a, a huge mansion and I, I knock on his door and, uh, and uh, um, uh, Don Knotts opens the door and I say, Don, my name is Randy. And I just think that you and I could be best friends. And I just want to come by and give you the opportunity to meet me because I think you and I are going to be, are just peas in a pod. We are going to be so close that, uh, that I wanted to give you this opportunity to, to be my friend. How do you think Don Knotts would react to that? Call 911, right? <laughs> this dude's crazy. <laughs> And so, and here's the reason why, when you want to be friends with someone of notoriety, when you want to be friends of, with someone who is of dignity, you cannot initiate the relationship. They have to do it. And beloved, the wonderful truth of the gospel is that even though you and I can never approach God on our own, God has come to us. He's come to us in the person of Jesus Christ who lived among us, who earned the righteousness that you and I could ever earn. He never sinned before God and he lived in absolute conformity to his father. But then he went to the cross and he died for our sins so that he gets all of our sins. We get all of his righteousness placed on us and we are made fit to be in the family of God. Is that what you're trusting in this morning? Because if you're, not, if you're trusting in anything else, then you're gonna be sorely disappointed. What are you trusting in? Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful promise in the gospel. We thank you for the great and mighty things you have done. And I pray this morning that if there is someone here who has not placed their faith in the gospel, I pray that this morning will be the morning that you draw them to yourself. Lord, it doesn't matter how long they've attended church. It doesn't matter all the things they've done or said. If they, if they don't know you, none of those things account for anything but only a new creation. Lord, nothing I do can make me a new creation. But you have done it in Jesus Christ. You've caused me to be born again. Maybe, fathers, there's someone out there who needs to be born again. They need to be a new creation. I pray even now they're feeling the weight of conviction and that they know that they need to come to you. Father, we pray all of this in your son's most precious name, the name that is above all names. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this wonderful truth. There is a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Lord.